Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the Gospel lesson, the Gospel reading from St. Mark, the 11th chapter, these verses, 7 through 11. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat upon it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut out in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. He's well known. In fact, if I would put two common but two dissimilar words together, side by side, many of you will know the man of whom I speak, even though he was born over a hundred years ago. The two words are piano and comedian. And if to those two words I would add the word Danish, some of you will certainly say, aha, I know him of whom he speaks, one of the greatest musician comedians of the 20th century. Remember him? Victor Borga, the phenomenal Danish pianist who with his great musical skills and his amazing sense of humor thrilled audiences around the world from 1926 to his death in December of 2000. 74 years he was an entertainer. Some of you will remember seeing him on television, perhaps even in person. Apart from Hans Christian Andersen, there are few Danes who were of a better reputation and better known than Victor Borge. Remember what was perhaps one of his most classic comedy routines? He sets his sheet of music up on top of the piano, on the piano's ledge, and he begins very seriously and very somberly to play the music as it's sitting there before him. And then suddenly in the midst of this, what we think is wonderful rendition of what he's playing, he stops and he grabs the sheet music and he looks at it very seriously as though something is terribly wrong. And then he turns it absolutely upside down, puts it back on the place, plays the music again. And wouldn't you know it, what he's playing is exactly what he's played before because no matter if you play it from front to back or from back to front, it sounds exactly the same way. Amazing. You don't know the beginning from the end. You don't know the prelude from the finale. It's sort of like Bach's chiastic arrangements entitled Canon for Contrary Motion, which could be played backward or forward, didn't make any difference. But then you ask yourself, but which is it? Is it the beginning or the end? Is it the prelude or is it the finale? My guess is, is on that first Palm Sunday, this is exactly the question that so many of the people were asking as they saw Jesus come into Jerusalem. Is this the beginning for him or is this his end? And it would indeed be a week that we now enter into with Holy Week. It would indeed be a week that was conflicted with all sorts of confusing and seemingly contradictory sounds and music, the chanted hosannas of Palm Sunday that were echoed then by the little children in the temple over against the, the bellicose denunciations of the Pharisees who complained about the children singing hosannas to this Jesus of Nazareth. There would be the beautiful liturgical psalms that would be chanted in the temple and the hymns that were sung on the eve of Passover in the upper room by Jesus and the disciples over against those horrible, horrific cries, crucify him, 
crucify him that would be sounded but a few days later? And what about our Lord's own painful intoning as we've studied in Bible class on Sunday mornings? Intoning of Psalm 22 from the cross beginning with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And ending with those famous words, It is completion, it is finished. Death dirge being sung below the cross. A cacophony of sounds, discordant sounds, dissonant sounds. Some of them holy sounds, others diabolic sounds. And they're all there compressed into this one amazing, historic, holy week in which evil forces themselves were greater than they'd ever been seen in the force of human history. Talk about mixed messages coming from this most important place at this most important time in all of human history. So many different voices. It seems hard to distinguish the hosannas from the hallelujahs. It seems impossible to distinguish the weeping from the cheers. Such a combination of incongruous things. What's it supposed to be? On the one hand, the crowds are throwing their garments in the ground and their palm branches on the ground, even as they did hundreds and hundreds of years before for a King Jehu, a sign of submission to one who is greater than them. That's what they've done for him, and now they're doing it for Jesus, even as the psalmist said they would. And yet he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, a humble, burden-bearing beast. Which is it? Is, is it the king's crown of glory? Or will it be the criminal's cross of shame? Well, nothing that our Lord does is shameful. There's nothing that our Lord does that's that which we have to be ashamed of. It all must, therefore, be a prelude to glory. But we ask, what kind of glory can there be in the cross? And Christ answers, every glory is right there, because that's where the work of saving mankind is done. That's the greatest glory that there is at all. And so spreading their clothes upon the road, waving palm branches in the air, the citizens from the suburbs of a little town called Bethany, where Lazarus had been raised from the dead, are spontaneously joined by pilgrims coming from another little suburb called Bethphage. Another suburb of Jerusalem that got a lot of overflow business at that time of the year in Jerusalem. Can you imagine what the sights and the sounds in Jerusalem must have been? Here it was, a town normally of about 25,000 people, and now at the time of the Passover it suddenly swells because of the pilgrims coming in from all over to, to a city of more than 100,000 that would be there, more than quadrupling in size. The same thing with these small little suburbs. In a day's time, a hundred, or, or I'm sorry, 10,000 lambs would be sacrificed there in the temple area. 10,000 lambs. A ceremony not only looking back to the miraculous exodus from Egypt, for those who had been saved by the blood of the lamb that was smeared upon the doorposts around the door, remember? Commemorating that, but the blood of the lamb also which symbolized the coming Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of all of the world. All of that captured in that moment with the, the shedding of the blood of the sacrificial lambs. Can't you see them, men, women, and children? They're running from their homes. They're running from their pilgrim tent shelters to the procession that's taking place, that's growing closer and closer to the great city 
of Jerusalem. Those great gates of Jerusalem, 60 feet high, 60 feet high, by which the pilgrims entered into the holy city, the gates at which they would chant the 118th Psalm. Open unto me the gates of righteousness, and here are these 60-foot gates. Open unto me the gates of righteousness, and I'm going to go through them. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, O Lord, for you have answered me. You have become my salvation, the psalmist wrote. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Psalm 118, which was chanted as they're going up there to Jerusalem, getting ready to enter through the gates of righteousness. And all of that's wrapped up in this Palm Sunday procession and chorus that's sung by these pilgrims with palm branches waving before the Lord. Did they grasp all that was taking place and how they fit in as puzzle pieces to this prophecy of old? Who knows? Most likely not. Many of them, to be sure, in the desperate enthusiasm of the moment, even misinterpreted Jesus to be a political Messiah who would come to deliver them from Roman rule, as so many zealots had unsuccessfully done before him. In fact, it was sung as it would have been perhaps thought by those pilgrims as the choir sang it this morning. Remember what the choir sang? Hosanna to the prince who comes to free a race oppressed, to drive the Gentile, the Romans, from our land and make his people blessed, to drive the Gentile from our land and make his people blessed. A good representation of what was thought by the people of the time. The vast majority of Zion zealots and the vast majority of Passover pilgrims had thought that. But make, make no mistake about it, Jesus knew exactly, despite all of the misinformation that was around him and misinterpretation of the scriptures that was held by so many about him, Jesus knew why he had come. He knew why he was there at Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do in the days of the Holy Week to come. He would not be a messianic activist for the political zealots of his day, and he will not be a messianic activist for political zealots in our day. He wouldn't be the subject of the entertainment-driven king, Herod. He will not be the subject of entertainment-driven agendas in our day either. He would not be the philosophic sparring partner of a Pontius Pilate who asks, we heard, what is truth? And he will not spar with 21st century skeptics who reject out of hand the word of truth that he has given in Holy Scripture either. He would not be manipulated by self-righteous high priests or by work-righteous Pharisees, and he will not be manipulated by the self-righteous and the pious of our own day either. Jesus knew what he had come to do. And God the Son, enthroned in heaven above, came down here below, and he became the Son of Man who sat on a donkey below, not to do the bidding of men, but to do the bidding of his heavenly Father, 
The ancient psalm of today's intro that we sang earlier knows who he is. It speaks so clearly about what he came to do when it says, Lift up your gates, your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, for the King of glory comes in. They knew, the psalmist knew, Jesus knew who it was. The King of glory was coming in. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes that day into Jerusalem to do battle, not with swords, but with his own precious body and his holy suffering and death. He does not come to do battle with regional kings like Herod. He doesn't come to do battle with provincial governors like Pilate. He doesn't come to do battle even with world emperors like Caesar. These are small. These are but pawns moved about unwittingly by the hand of the ultimate arch enemy of God and of man by the hand of the prince of darkness of whom Luther spoke when he wrote the old evil foe now means deadly woe. Deep guile, great might are his dread arms in fight on earth is not his equal. As the psalm of Palm Sunday says, the Lord strong and mighty, he had come to do battle with this old evil foe. And thus Luther writes, but for us fights the valiant one, the valiant one. Ask ye who was this? Jesus Christ it is of Sabbath Lord. There's none other God. He holds the field forever. The Lord had come to Jerusalem to do battle, but not with 12 legions of angels behind him to support him. In fact, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said if they were there to do his bidding, if he wanted them to do it. But no, he didn't. And he allowed himself to be rested. He allowed himself to be beaten, scorned, taken to the cross, crucified. Why? Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Ride on, then. Ride on in majesty. The winged squadrons, the angels of the sky, look down with sad and wandering eyes to see the approaching sacrifice. And heaven's angels could do nothing but watch. Why? Because the victory that comes had to be through blood shed. There is no forgiveness of sin, Scripture says, without the shedding of blood. And the blood sufficient to pay for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the world was only divine blood. The divine blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the sinless Son of God being shed for the sins of all the world. That's what's required. The shedding of blood for your sins and for mine. He knew exactly what he had to do to make those hosannas, which means to save now, O Lord, come true not only for the psalmist who wrote them, not only for the pilgrims who sang it, but also for the church throughout the ages who has sung it after them. The church which has been washed in water in the word, the church which is fed by his body and blood, and how thankful we should be that that includes you and me. And therefore, as we heard the prophet Zechariah say, in our Old Testament reading today, some 500 years before that first Palm Sunday, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming unto you, righteous, having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Why? Because you're a sinner. And because he's the only Savior, Jesus Christ, who, as our epistle lesson said this morning, though he was in the form of God, yet he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. You see, Palm Sunday is indeed the prelude to glory. But it's a glory that's not simply to begin with Easter. It's a glory that begins on what we call Good Friday, on the cross, where the battle is not only waged, but where the battle is irreversibly and eternally won. In a simple concluding poem called The Burden, Philip Rosenbaum writes about the donkey of Palm Sunday upon which our Lord rode into Jerusalem as the burden bearer and the sin bearer of all the world. And he writes these words and says, Unaccustomed to her burden, she knows not that never beast bore such a man as this who meekly rides to his appointed lot. A crown of thorns and a betrayer's kiss and never man will carry such a weight as he bears now in this, his day of power, ascending toward a straight and a narrow gate, his agonizing last, and yes, his finest hour. She bravely struggles on, despite her fear of cheering men, whom he as gravely views, as an admiral watching distant storms draw near to lash bright waves to dark and deadly hues. He knows the death decreed in ancient psalms the tree that looms beyond these scattered palms, the tree of the cross. He knows, and yet he goes, the lamb, willingly. A blessed Palm Sunday to you all, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.